Good morning. You know, uh, we're continuing this sermon series this morning called The Power of Together. And uh, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll talk about the power of studying God's Word together, the power of trusting God together, the power of praying together. But this morning, we're going to talk about the power of worshiping together. Now, uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is the togetherness of worship. And uh, there is uh, such a thing as individual worship. In fact, uh, you, you should worship the Lord on your own uh, during the week. But there is also what we call corporate worship. Worship together as a church family, together. And uh, in fact, by the end of uh, the sermon today, I hope that you understand that corporate worship, there is something special and unique about when we gather together for worship. In fact, I hope you leave today thinking, man, worship is a big deal, and it has, and it has the power to be a life-changing experience. You know, when I think of life-changing experience, one experience comes to my mind right away. Uh, there was a moment when Chelsea showed me a pregnancy test, and it said uh, she was pregnant. And the uh, first thing I said was, take another test. Uh, <laughs> let's make sure on this one. So she took another test, and sure enough, uh, we were going to have a baby. And, uh, and this, as you can imagine, was one of these life-changing experiences. In fact, that whole night after we, uh, she took that test, I didn't sleep a wink. Uh, Chelsea can testify. She kept nudging me and said, be quiet, because the whole night I'm like, moaning and groaning in bed. Oh boy. <laughs> oh man, I could I sensed the weightiness of what was going to happen. Everything was going to be different. Uh, no longer was would my actions and my words just simply affect myself or or Chelsea and me, but now for, uh, forever uh, more it would affect this new little innocent child that was going to be uh, born to us. Uh, it I I, I knew right then that I had different responsibilities. But I also think I knew deep down inside, and I might not have felt it that first night, but deep down inside I knew it came with different blessings too. Different responsibilities and different blessings. You know, when we think of uh, worship, uh, the same thing can be said. When we gather together as a family, we have different responsibilities but also, when we worship together, it comes with different blessings. And these different responsibilities and different blessings are part of the reason why worshiping together is a big deal. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning. It is a big deal. In Acts chapter 13, the passage we're going to look at this morning, we're going to read about when the church in Antioch gathered together for worship. And the reason I picked out this passage, because I thought, well, we should look at a passage in, in the Bible uh, where a church gathered together for worship. And Acts is the record, the history of the early church. But this isn't stand out as one of these spectacular days. This isn't the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came like fire. It wasn't a day in which uh, someone was healed. It wasn't a day in which someone was martyred for the faith. This is just one normal Sunday in the life of the church. And so I want to look at this passage because, to be honest, I think we picked up some principles here about family worship 
that we can expect every time we gather together on a normal Sunday to worship the Lord. This is Acts chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Matanaean, who uh, had been brought up with, uh, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we open up your word now, we pray that you would come and that, that you would speak to us about those special responsibilities that we have together when we gather to worship, and we would sense uh, the privilege, the, the blessings, those, those special blessings that you give us when we gather together for family worship. And I pray that as we look at these uh, words and as I preach this message, that it ultimately be your words coming forth. God, we pray that you would be our teacher, that you would lead us and guide us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that we put up just this uh, first verse on the screen because uh, the first thing I thought we would do is we would simply look at the leaders that are mentioned in the, um, in the church in, in Antioch. There are, it says that there are prophets and teachers, and so then it gives us five names of these leaders. When I was in seminary, I, I was told that a church would eventually take on the personality of the church's leaders, and I think we can actually learn a lot about the early church by simply gathering some information about these five leaders. So let's take them one at a time. The first person that is mentioned here is Barnabas. We know some things about Barnabas from the book of Acts. He was one of Paul's traveling companions on several of his missionary journeys. Now, the word that, now his name, the name Barnabas, literally means son of encouragement. In fact, I think his name, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is actually probably a nickname. Because once we get to know Barnabas, we can see this is the type of person that he was. You'd get done having a conversation with Barnabas, and you just feel better about yourself. Like, he's an encourager. He just, uh, you, you talk to him, and you, you walk away thinking, man, I'm a good guy. Barnabas likes me. You know, Barnabas was, uh, was just an encourager. And what a blessing it is to, have, uh, to be able to gather together, and, and someone is going to encourage us and lift us up. I once had a friend who was a pastor of another church, and I'll never forget this guy. His name was Stephen Mitchell. Stephen Mitchell, we might as well call him Barnabas. Like, he was an encourager. Every time I uh, saw him, he'd make you feel like a million bucks. In fact, uh, one time I walked into the post office, and, uh, and Pastor Steve, he's a pastor of another church, he was there, and, uh, he, and it's like he brought the house down in the post office. Brother Corey, it's so good to see you! And he just kept piling on these compliments. I walked out thinking, man, I was walking on uh, cloud nine. Felt so good about it my, uh, myself. In fact, I said, if I didn't pastor my own church, I'd go to that guy's church. Uh, being an encouragement 
uh, being a, a son or a daughter of encouragement brings a lot to corporate worship. In fact, you may be here this morning and you think, I don't know what my ministry is. I don't know. I want to be of service to the church. And if you just came with the attitude to say, I'm going to encourage someone this morning, shaking their hands, smiling, uh, or maybe it's not shaking their hands, but giving a fist bump and, and, uh, and just encouraging one another, that goes a long ways. That's a huge uh, blessing to the church. So that's Barnabas. Second person we uh, mention, uh, see mentioned here is Simeon called Niger. So this we know, Niger was his nickname for sure. Niger literally means dark-skinned. In other words, we got a black brother here in the church. And uh, Simeon is among the leaders, and, uh, and, uh, and, he ha- and he is, and we already begin to see that this is, we've got one Jewish brother here, and we've got one uh, black brother uh, in the church leadership. Now, most scholars believe Simeon to be uh, the same Simeon that was pulled out of the crowd when Jesus was carrying his cross to be crucified. Remember when Jesus was going away, uh, going up to the cross, he had been beaten and, uh, and uh, whipped, and uh, he didn't have the strength to carry his own cross, so they pulled out Simeon, and Simeon carried the cross to the, uh, to the top of Golgotha where Jesus was put to death. Now, if that is the same Simeon, I think this guy represents, in the church, he surely represents an attitude of service. So we're already beginning to get a picture of this church, a church that's full of encouragement, a church that's full of serving one another. The next guy, Lucius, is, we're told that he is from Cyrene, so North African. And uh, again, some diversity Matinean, what we have here, information about him, he had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So in other words, here's a guy that had been brought up within the government system. He was a person that came with some social standing and some social status. He was surely Roman if he was served in the, uh, uh, he served Herod. And uh, here's a man, probably quite wealthy, comes with some dignity and status. And in a church, we want to encourage uh, those that come with a certain education, a certain standing within the city. Uh, we want to hear the voices that are oftentimes uh, muted because of their social standing, but we also want to give voice to those that come with status and influence in society. And then the last person that is mentioned here is Saul, whom we typically uh, refer to as Paul. Paul was a person that we think of as a great Christian hero, right? He started churches, he evangelized, he discipled. But just to remind you, before Paul was Paul the Apostle, he was Saul the murderer. He was one that had uh, assisted in putting the first uh, followers of Christ to death. This guy comes, and he's a great hero of the faith in our minds, but he comes with a history. He comes with a a background. If I look at this list, I have to guess that some people grew up in what we would call good Christian homes, and then some had experienced the lowest of lows when it comes to sin. There is great diversity all over this early church. And to me, 
That's, that is a, a sign that should be of encouragement to us. Because when we look, think of West Covina Christian Church, we come together with different ethnic backgrounds, with different uh, education and social and socioeconomic uh, status. We come with different experiences. Some of us have been a Christian a week, and some of us have been Christians for decades. And we all come with this different perspective, and God loves to honor that. Because when we get the perspective of someone that has a different background than us, our, our minds begin to grow and expand. We get a bigger picture of who God is. This is the image of the early church that we have here in Acts chapter 13. It's a diverse church that's gathering together to, to uh, do all kinds of things, to encourage one another, to serve one another. We see that, there's, uh, that they're teachers and the prophets, they're teaching one another, they're exhorting one another, and, uh, and as we'll see in a moment, they're praying for one another. In this diverse group of believers, we begin to uh, get a picture of how dynamic their worship could have been. In fact, uh, all of what they are doing can be summed up in one word. In verse 2, it calls it worship. This group gathers together to worship the Lord. Now that's a word we use all the time, right? We're gathered right now in a worship service. What does it mean to worship the Lord? To worship the Lord really means to ascribe to God the greatness that is due His name. It is to, it is to, uh, to praise God in a way that in which He is worthy to be praised, to ascribe his worth to him. You can hear the worth, worthy worship. It is to make, uh, it is to proclaim how great God is. In fact, if we were to boil it down to a really simple definition, in worship we make a big deal out of a big God. We make a big deal out of a big God. Now we're in the midst of college football season right now, right? If we, uh, if we love college football, you know what worship is. Uh, uh, college football is making a big deal out of a small team, okay? <laughs> now, the Trojans won yesterday. The Bruins won. I won't mention the Bears. We could just go on and on. Uh, but we make a big deal out of these pretty uh, little teams in the grand scheme of things. Worshiping God makes, means we make a big deal out of a big God. Think of how excited people get for the Trojans or for the Bruins. How excited we ought to, be get, uh, we ought to get for the big God that we worship. Worship is all about God. There was a story I was told about a, a, a piano player, a pianist, who had been practicing for this rehearsal for so long been working with a great instructor and preparing for this concert. And, uh, and after, the, after she was done playing her, all of her music that she had prepared for, uh, for so long, the crowd went nuts. They were happy. They began to applaud, and some of them stood to their feet, and everyone was hooping and hollering and cheering. And, uh, and the pianist went and took her bow, and then she went off to the side stage. And as soon as she was out of the view of everyone else, she got down on her knees and began to weep. 
the stagehand came and said, What's wrong? Why are you sad? Everyone is cheering for you. And uh, she said, Yes, everyone except my, for my instructor who sits on the front row. His hands are on his laps, are on his lap. And the same thing could be said for us at, uh, when we gather to worship. We gather for, the, uh, for an audience of one. We worship God. Sometimes we judge worship by, what did you think of it? Did you clap? Did you think it was great? Did, did the musician sound good? Did, was the preacher funny? Was the preacher, did the preacher do a good job? It doesn't really matter what you think. The, important, the way we ought to judge uh, worship is, what did God think? You see, we gather to make a big deal about a big God. That is what worship is is really all about. Now, when you think of worship, I like to think of it uh, kind of like the, the, the solar system. Like the most powerful uh, thing in our solar system I, are the stars, right? You think about how great the, the sun is. You can't even look, you're not even supposed to look directly at it or it'll hurt our eyes. And yet the sun shines upon the earth and then at night it kind of, it gets just past the earth and it and it lights up the moon. Now, if it's a full moon, in this, and uh, we can't see the sun in that moment, but the moon reflects the sun, uh, reflects the sun and gives light on a full moon, you can walk the streets without a flashlight because the moon is giving off uh, light. Now, the moon doesn't actually give off any light. It's simply reflecting light, right? Once in a while, we don't have a full moon and because the earth kind of gets in the way and you have a half moon or you have a crescent moon. And this, and this is a picture of what worship is. We, we come and we recognize of the greatness of God. It's like the sun, but then we are, li- are to be like the moon. We are a reflection of that brilliance of God himself. Now, sometimes we don't shine like we should. And that's because sin gets in the way and, and the earthly things of, of the world and this, of sin kind of block the obstruction. But if we can get rid of all of that, we can uh, shine a lot of God's glory. We're never going to look as brilliant as God himself, who's righteous and holy, but we can give off a lot of light. And that now we're beginning to get a picture of why corporate worship, family worship, is so powerful. Because we uh, begin to see the glory of God, and then it shines on us, and then that begins, the glory of God begins to shine out through us. And that's what we see happening here in this picture of the early church. They've been in worship, and now all of a sudden, as they've received from the Lord, they begin to give out, uh, give God's glory out towards others. That's the idea of service. In the Greek, there's actually two words for worship. The first is proskuneo, which we hear in the English with the word prostrate. It means to bow down. Sometimes the Greek word is used to give a kiss towards. It's to offer love and and honor and reverence. And usually this is the type of uh, idea we have when we are singing God's praises. But there's a second word that's not as common in the New Testament that's also sometimes translated worship, and and that word is Leturgeo, which is actually the word used in this passage. Leturgeo means to serve or to, or to work or to minister. 
You see, worship is more than just singing, though it is that. It is actually anything that we do that reflects the glory of God. And so when we gather together as a family to worship, we can begin to, in Jesus' name, seek to minister to one another. We can encourage someone. We can tell someone about what God's doing in our lives. We can, we can share God's love in one way or another. And if that's done in Jesus' name for God's glory, then that is an act of worship. And that is why corporate worship, family worship, is so powerful. You see, we can get a lot of the sun on us uh, just on our own, but until we gather together, with, uh, we're, we don't have the opportunity to be a reflection of God's glory to one another in the same way. When God's glory shines upon us and we get a glimpse of His love and His power and His grace and His mercy and His holiness and all of these attributes that we've sung about this morning, then we have an opportunity then to reflect that upon one another. So I challenge you this morning, when you come to worship, think about not only how we can get a glimpse of God, but how we might be able to reflect that to someone else. Could you show love or kindness or compassion or challenge someone in God's word in, in such a way that, that you're building up your brother or your sister in the Lord? You see, worship is a reflection in this way. Now, going back to the text one more time, I wanted to highlight what happens on this particular day when the church in Antioch meets together. Three things, I think, happen. One is God shows up. When the people gathered together, it says that the Holy Spirit spoke and told Saul and Barnabas something. But God showed up. And I think when we gather together, we ought to expect that. God's going to meet us here in a special way. God is everywhere in the universe, but God meets with his people when they gather together in his name in a, in a special and unique way. Jesus said, where two or three gather together in my name, there I am with them. And we expect the same thing, that God shows up. The second thing we see happen here is that some people get direction for their lives. Namely, Saul and Barnabas. But the Holy Spirit said, set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work that, for which I have called them. When you come to worship, I hope that God speaks to you. That uh, God gives you some direction for your lives. Sometimes you may need direction for your family or for your work or for your finances. Sometimes you just need, uh, uh, God's going to speak to you and it's going to be a conviction of sin. Or is God's going to encourage you, but God's going to give you direction in one way or another, challenge you to renew your commitment to him. Some people get direction for their lives. And then the third thing is, many people minister to one another. One of the things that, struck, that strikes me about this passage is in the third verse where it says that they all place their hands on Barnabas and Saul and prayed for them. I find it quite interesting that in this particular Sunday, 
There's only two that we're told get specific direction. But everyone has an opportunity to pray. Everyone has an opportunity to minister. Sometimes we come to church and we're like, I don't know what I got out of that. I didn't get anything out of that today. I'm a little bit disappointed. Well, maybe that's the day you weren't uh, meant to receive the blessing. Maybe that was the day you were meant to give the blessing. You see, sometimes we gather together and we can get a little bit selfish even in our own worship. Oh, I didn't like the way it sounded this morning, or I so-and-so gave me a bad look. You're not coming just to get, you're coming to give. God gathers us together not just so that we can get filled up, though I think that happens at least sometimes, and I hope it happens regularly, but we gather together to be a blessing. So don't just come to church to get a blessing from God. Come to church to be a blessing to someone else. When we minimize being used by God in worship, it is to our own detriment. Because worship is most powerful when it is done with others in connection as a family in which we're not only blessed, but when we have something to offer as well. So first of all, we offer our praise to our Heavenly Father. And then secondly, we offer our service, encouragement, and love to our brothers and sisters. And in this way, worship is a family affair. This is the power of worshiping together. And so let me just say this in a way that I hope sinks into our hearts. The, real, uh, the reason worship is a big deal is because we are gathering to make a big deal about a big God and to make a difference in the lives of others in a big way. And you might not recognize it's a big way in the moment, but it touches someone in their time of need. And if anything is done in the name of Jesus, if they don't recognize it, God will. And then it's an act of worship because ultimately it's all about Jesus. I told you that uh, story, you know, the, uh, for me, a powerful moment, finding out when we, were, um, uh, when we were expecting a child. I never say we were pregnant because Chelsea was pregnant. I wasn't pregnant. But uh, people say we're pregnant. Uh, I, was, I was looking forward to being a dad. Chelsea was pregnant. She was looking forward to being a mom. But I tossed and turned that whole night because I knew I wasn't ready. Like, I sensed the weightiness of the responsibility, but I didn't feel like I was ready. And uh, so t part of the way we got ready was we took a birthing class at the hospital in which our future son, who we now know, know to be Dawson, was going to be born. And, uh, and I was learning as much as I could. One of the things that stood out to me in the class was how much a little baby, an, a newborn infant, how, how, how important those first few minutes after birth were. I was so impressed by this. The, the uh, instructor said that so much of a person's uh, personality and their sense of self-worth self and their, se uh, their sense of being valued uh, begins to be formed in those first few moments after they are born. And that's because they are created, this is what the instructor said, uh, they are created as relational beings. And so when the mom or the dad takes up that baby into his or her arms, and, and uh, they, they talked about the importance of skin-to-skin -skin touch, 
because that skin-to-skin touch starts uh, synapses firing all over the place in their brain where they're beginning to sense this what feels like a dangerous world outside of the nice warm womb is, uh, is a safe place because I've got someone here to hold me and to keep me warm. And then one thing I found really interesting, the instructor said that a little baby, now get this, tell me if this is not amazing, that a little uh, baby could only focus his or her eyes 8 to 12 inches from their face. Is that not interesting? It's the exact same distance that an infant's face is from the face of their parent when being held in their arms. God created that little baby that way. They're able to block out everything else, but all they're able to see is the gaze of their parent. And, and, I, and I remember the first time I held Dawson, and then a few years later, first time I held Kinsey in my arms, and just couldn't help but smile. And I'm sure that, that was, uh, there was a whole lot more going on there than I realized. But in the face of that smile, I think I was beginning to communicate that you're valuable, that you're loved, that you're important, uh, that you're taken care of, and you're safe and, and secure. Now, why I felt that way, that is, again, a gift of, from God. Because this little baby could do nothing but eat, sleep, smile, which is very valuable, cry and poop. That's all they can do. Eat, sleep, cry, smile, and poop. And, uh, and yet to me, they were so very valuable and, uh, and loved. In the same way, when we come before our Heavenly Father in worship, we don't got a whole lot to offer. We can eat, sleep, cry, smile, and poop, and, that's, and maybe a few other things. But really, we come open-handed, right? We come before our Heavenly Father saying, Here I am, God. I don't got much to offer. And the amazing thing is that God looks down upon us and He smiles. Because we are His children. We don't have to bring anything to the table. We are His children. And so it pleases us so much when we begin to uh, give God praise, when we smile back. That reflection begins to take place, first of all, between God and us. And we just say, thank you, God, for being a great God. And we smile back. And as we do, synapses start firing all over our brains and all over our souls because we were created as relational beings to be in relationship with God and to give Him glory and then to take uh, God's glory and to reflect it down towards others. And as we do... We get filled up because God has created us to give him glory and to share that glory with others. This is why uh, worship is so very valuable. We live in a ruthless world of hurt and pain. We look around at the world right now, and it's a crazy world, right? And our incredible worth is being trampled on by the evil that is all around us all the time. A world full of greed and hard-heartedness. And, uh, and we, are, we can tend to get beat down. But in worship, our emotional and our spiritual makeup, which take a beating every day, begins to be 
restored. It's like we're coming back to the maternity ward and being reminded of our own self-worth uh, and value in the eyes of the Almighty Father. And then in, uh, in how we reflect his glory into the lives of others as we encourage, serve, and love. And so this is why I love the concept of family worship. Because it is in the power of worshiping together that we are able to make a big deal out of God and be a big deal towards one another. I'm going to pause there and invite us now to prepare our hearts for communion.